Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanziel. Chris, what a win this weekend. Wire-to-wire finish and no complaints. No controversy. We showed who the better team was and Nova got the job done. On the road, nonetheless. Well, you would think no controversy, but of course, you know, throughout the game, Kevin Willard was asking for a foul every time the Villanova player was within three feet of Seton Hall. And then Villanova would be getting calls uh, left and right, apparently, that, you know, they were just that much superior and that the fix is in and the conference wants Villanova to win every single game. So other than that, though, <laughs> other than a couple of fan meltdowns, uh, yeah, there was no controversy whatsoever. Villanova played a pretty pretty good game. Yeah, I did see a little bit of that on Twitter. There were a lot of angry Seton Hall fans. Literally every other second, every other minute, there was a new tweet like, oh, Commissioner Jay, get in the calls. Or I've never seen a team like this get as much calls maybe since Duke or Coach K. And I'm sitting there thinking, look, the refs aren't the ones out here playing terrible defense or leaving Justin Moore open or letting Jeremiah Robinson or bully you down low or letting Colin dish out beautiful assists. Like, where was the defense? I know. You would think they would blame their actual team first, but that will never happen. Nah. And not to mention, if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty of it, Jeremiah Robinson Earl was out with, like, four fouls for, like, half the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Villanova's best player during that game wasn't even on the court, and the scene all still failed to make a big run to get into the game. So you had every opportunity, and you failed. Yeah, I know, I know Chris was taking delight in every single Villanova basket, and every time Sheen Hall was – they did that cutaway, and you saw either Willard or someone pouting. I know I know you enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even, even their players were doing it too. Mamu was a very big offender the other day about, you know, just after giving up a basket or a foul, he just had his hands in his face or he's just slouching. Very bad body language. Oh, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. There were points where he missed the shot on O, and then he's walking around on D, and then all of a sudden his guy's mm-hmm. wide open on the on the three-point line and then just cashes in. And I'm yeah. just thinking, come on, bud. Still got a game <laughs> to play. I, I mean, really, your mom's in the stands watching you too. You, can't, you cannot you cannot put out a performance like that. Lackadaisical performance. It's one thing to have a bad day. It's another thing to just do it to yourself. The nice thing is Villanova still number three in the polls, still hanging tough up there in the top five right behind Gonzaga and Baylor. And not only that, but their nine-game winning streak is still rolling, still moving. And honestly, I know the game was just an 80-72 to 72 final score, eight-point difference. It did not feel like that. It felt more like an 18-point game with the way that Nova just hot start and then wire-to-wire finish. And then just could, they were in control the whole time. I never really felt like they were threatened or in danger of losing that lead. Crazier wasn't a bigger margin. Yeah, I agree with you. The only time I felt a little uh, trepidatious about the game was when Seton Hall first cut it to single digits a little late in the second half. I was like, eh, I don't know about that. Like, I felt like this was like a 15-point game the entire game, and now it's nine, eight points. And it's like, eh, well, now that you, they can get their momentum going and whatnot and actually think they have a chance of coming back. But Villanova made sure that that wasn't going to happen. They were hitting everything. Like, there, there was not one of those games they were going to lose. Like, even, like, the stupid mid-range shots that I hate where they're, <laughs> they're, where they're contested. And Justin Moore was a kind of a big offender of this, but he, they were just taking them and they're making them. And I'm like, all right, you know what? If they're going to fall today, take them. I, I don't care. It's, it's funny, too, because, like you said, there was a moment where it was, oh, man, it's going to be, like, 
the Virginia Tech game where they give up that late run and let Seton Hall back in. But then Jeremiah Robinson Earl checked back into the game for the last few minutes. And not only that, whenever Seton Hall made a big three, Nova was right there to answer right back. So they mm-hmm. really couldn't build up that momentum or really couldn't build up that confidence. Just a great game all around. I loved everything I saw on Saturday. Just from the big game from JRE, even though he was in foul trouble, he still managed to score 23 points in 21 minutes. Game high. Big boy. It was nice to see him get his scoring touch back. Yeah, it was. I actually highlighted him during the last episode saying he was the man to look out for, especially with Mamo on the other side of the court. And, I mean, Mamo kind of frustrated himself, but Jerry had a big, played a big uh, role in that on the defensive end and then offensively. Those shots that just weren't falling for him for the first two games did. And when you're a good player like that, they're eventually going to fall, and they certainly did. He was even hitting from, from beyond the arc, too, two or four. So And hit all his free throws, which was kind of a little bit of a problem for him the past couple games as well. I mean, you dropped 23 in 20 minutes. That's that's pretty darn efficient. Yeah, and especially when he was out for a good chunk of the game, too. And when he came back in, he was still hot. Yeah, it was like he never left. Yeah, even Cole Swider was, like, getting getting involved, too, like, offensively in the sense that, like, you know, he was giving little forearm shimmies and guys were flying all over the place. That, that was pretty funny. There was that – there were a – in, in St. Holst defense, though, there were a couple of uh, offensive fouls in Villanova that probably could have been called, and Cole Swider was the offender on one of them. But he, like, just bodied someone, pushed him <laughs> off, and, and hit a step back three. I'm like, this is great. This is wonderful. Yeah, there was that hesitation where it was, like, the – Am I guilty? But then there was no whistle. But that's why we played to the whistle. That's why we played to the whistle. When he cashed in that three, I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Seen Hall fans are not going to like that one. No, no. The, the, their bench certainly didn't. Cole Swider, on it, like you said, like was I guilty or not? He stood there for a good, like, two, three seconds. He yeah, had no idea what to do. Passed the ball away and then got yeah. it back to him and then boom. Then drained it. Yeah. And just – just delineating from the individual performances real quick, it was a point I wanted to bring up, was the fact that you said that like you felt like the game was a lot um, – it was only an eight-point win, but it felt like a lot bigger than that. And I, I really wanted to like just run these guys off the court. And I know the score doesn't indicate that, but like after all their you know trash talk last year and even, even, even the beginning this year – and even after the last game where they're like, we should have won and the refs handed you the game, I, I wanted to beat them by like 30. And like, I know, I know that wasn't going to happen, but like when you got it to like 15 or whatever it was, the highest uh, point limit it was, I was like, all right, let's keep it there. But then obviously they cut into it, but that's whatever. But yeah, other than that, other than those guys, I mean, J- big game Jermaine came out to play. Big quiet, second half. 17. Huge, huge <laughs> second half. Huge in the second half. He was draining a lot of shots. Uh, Justin Moore, like I said, was hitting those mid-range shots, but he went four or five from deep too. He's such a consistent contributor. Like it's just surreal to see him like kind of be in this role right now as a sophomore. I was not expecting this big of a jump, and like just from freshman year. And then Colin, like all right, he had he had a double double, eleven points, eleven assists. He made his key free throws, especially at the end, which is what I'm happy about. Yeah, he didn't hit a three. Okay, so what? But he got eleven assists. Only like one turnover. Was... I know we like the assist turnover yeah. <laughs> ratio over here at View Hoops. I know I know the comment section loves that. Only yeah. one turnover, eleven assists. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful facilitating. He he was. And like he even he kinda had a phantom three point free throw foul where he pulled the James Harden and drove dove into the guy, but Whatever. <laughs> if they're gonna call it, call it. Phil um, Booth used to do that a little bit in twenty nineteen. <laughs> I was Phil, all Phil for it. That was Phil Booth's forte. He was, he, but he he made it a lot more subtle. 
and what Colin did. Colin looked like a fish out of water. <laughs> um, in, in all fairness, but it worked. And then Brandon Slater didn't score one point. He missed the three and the, another shot. He went over two from the field. The one three, I was like, oh, yeah, he was open to take it. Looked like it was going to go in, but it, it just rimmed out. But defensively, though, he was really good. Really good. He was locking them down. It was like, oh, wow, like this is like the Brandon Slater we've kind of been you know, in our minds, this is what we thought Brandon Slater, Slater would be defensively. That's what I felt like he was. Yeah, he was just great. You look at Seton Hall, no one really got into rhythm. Mamu Kelashvili had 12 points, 4-15 shooting. Jared Roden tore it up from beyond the arc, but his buckets mostly came in late. But other than that, he was 4 of 11 overall and only had 12 points. Shavar Reynolds was the only one who was able to really get it going. Probably could have gotten the ball more since he was 5 for 7, but he only had 13 points. Then you had Miles Kale, 2 of 6 from deep and 5 for 10 overall. He also chipped in a dozen. The defensive effort all around I thought was just amazing. Like you said, Chris, even though the bench guys didn't really score too much, even Swider, he only had 6 points. Overall, their defense and their energy was awesome. Yeah, it was pretty significant. It, and even Eric Dixon got some burn. He didn't look too bad defensively either. It's like I, I was just really happy with how everyone played. Like Even like Kale Daniels, like we, we didn't mention, like, Doing the little things. Like, you know, it, it doesn't show up in the box score, but, you know, he was getting some tough rebounds. Even he even hit a three, I think, toward the end of the game, I think it was, to kind of, like, ice it. So it's not like everyone out there is, like, just doing – there's, like, nothing. Like, you look at the box score, Brandon Slater, zero points, Eric Dixon, zero points, Caleb Dale's only seven. But, like, they're still doing enough defensively to, you know, warrant a spot in the lineup, and they're doing a great job at it. I mean, the only, the only downside about Daniels, he still seems a little reckless, too, with the offensive fouls. But that's you – know, I, I just hope he kind of gets that under control. <laughs> that's that's the only, like, one complaint I have. Yeah, it, overall, though, it was nice. Even when JRE was out, it never really felt like the game was out of sync. It didn't really feel like we were in trouble. You had Jermaine Samuels step up big time, scoring 15 of his 17 points in the second half. And then he was also chipping in on defense against a much bigger Mamu, and he was holding his own. Overall, just a great game. I guess, Chris, you know, your complaint was Caleb Daniels' offensive fouls and – how you really wanted the game to be a blowout, run them off the court. Honestly, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I was hoping with the way that it was going, especially early on when Nova raced out to a 16-point lead, that we were going to see a blowout, and then we were going to see Brian Antoine get some run, Trey Patterson maybe even. Oh, mm-hmm. it would have been great. would have been great. That certainly would have been something, but it's just never fully easy against these guys, and we knew that, so – yeah, yeah, they kept they kept fighting. They kept fighting. I won't give Seton yeah. Hall that. They kept fighting, especially towards the end there, where they yeah, cut no. it back down to single digits. Yeah, and you'd think, oh, all right, it's all right. Well, it'd call off the dogs, and they just didn't. And like, look, I'm not going to get mad at a team for doing that. They'll they'll never die against the against Villanova. Yeah, and, and they had those threes at the end there, but the the big thing was Nova just being able to answer back too. So you know, they probably felt that huge momentum boost in making one, and then mm-hmm. huge exhale when. You know, Nova comes back down, and then and then Justin Moore, Caleb Daniels just hits another three to now. Right. Now it's like, oh, we just did all that work for nothing. Yeah, yeah. It was a very – you could tell. They were very frustrated throughout the game. Very frustrated. And it's probably a little bit from the refs not getting enough calls, but also a lot from Villanova just hitting everything to just stall any type of momentum shift that, that, that Seton Hall could have possibly taken and ran with. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Chris, I, I just do have one quick question for you. I know you, you're not really a big fan of Rutgers. You're not a big fan of Seton Hall. You don't really like the teams in your backyard, but are there any New Jersey teams you should port? Like, if Villanova were to play a New Jersey team, you'd be like, 
All right, we don't need to kill him. It's okay. <laughs> uh, basketball wise, no. no Monmouth, no. no, not even Monmouth. No, no Monmouth, no. NJIT, would you would you take mercy on NJIT? I would love to see an NJIT game, Villanova at NJIT, just because like of how hilariously bad NJIT was back in like when we were like in middle school, maybe even early high school. Yeah, they weren't they even had, like... in a conference until what, like a couple years ago. <laughs> Yeah, and they were in like the Great West. It's like, yeah, New Jersey's in the Great West. That's that makes perfect sense. They, they they would go like whole seasons without winning, and like that that was just kind of funny to look at. Yeah, that when they upset Michigan, it was like the turning point. <laughs> it was. Now we'll only win ten games instead of zero. So yeah, they they seem to at least kind of have turned it around. Ryder, I know, is a New Jersey school. St. Peter's. Yeah, St. Peter's. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about them. No. <laughs> Chris is like Villanova owes New Jersey, please. <laughs> yeah, just take it, over. <laughs> it would be, it would be cool to kind of see like Villanova just do like a whole New Jersey tour. It would be awful for the non-con schedule, but it would be pretty funny at the same time. But no, that's there is no one. The only New Jersey team I support is the, the hockey team, so that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I think that's it for all the D1 New Jersey teams. Unless I'm missing one. For D1, yeah. Yeah. D3, there's... Oh, yeah, there's... A Plenty. <laughs> yeah. So, next up for the Cats is a road game against the St. John's Red Storm. First look at them this season. And this St. John's team looked a little rocky in the beginning. But now they're coming in 11-7 and on a four-game winning streak. Fresh off of a big win against Marquette. They also beat UConn earlier. So... I don't know, man. They're heating up. This is a team that prides itself on defense. Chris, tell us a little bit more about this Red Storm unit and what we should watch out for. So, yeah, Eugene, as you mentioned, they do come in winning four in a row, beating UConn, Utah Valley, DePaul, and Marquette. And that Marquette win was pretty impressive on their part. They pretty much led wire to wire that entire game, Uh, even had double-digit lead on Marquette and were able to fend off a late rally. And if you go back even a little bit further, on the 12th of January, they, had beat, they beat Butler. They just they, The next game, they played Marquette and only lost to them by two. So they clearly are you know, able to hang around with some of the better teams in the conference. But individually, it kind of starts and ends with Julian Champagne. The dude's on fire this year. He's averaging around 20 points a game, seven boards, two assists, and he's shooting over 42%. Actually, I'll round up, 43% from beyond the arc. That's that's pretty impressive. And the guy didn't really have that much of a three-point shot last year. So now that he's kind of added that to his game, or at least hitting from deep, pretty it, it's taken his offensive game to new heights. The dude's a, dude's a monster. Uh, Posh Alexander, he's averaging around 11 points and leads the team in assists with about four and a half. But the dude's very good defensively. In that Marquette game, they were trying to bring the ball up, and he just wouldn't allow them. He would not allow them to cross the midpoint line. And that, that was – I'm just like, oh, wow, like this is going to be something to watch out for. I don't know who he'll guard. I'm assuming it would be Colin, but uh, it's going to be it's gonna be tough. It's, it's going to be tough to kind of get around that. And then also two other guys I want to highlight are Greg Williams Jr. and Vince Cole. They're averaging in double digits as well. So this team also as a whole shoots around 35% for three, so pretty average, nothing, nothing too spectacular. But defensively, yeah, Eugene, they are, that's how they're, they're going to win games. Yeah, Mike Anderson loves to call it 40 minutes of hell, and that's exactly what they try to do. They'll try to speed you up, full court press 24-7. You never get a chance to breathe. And with that, you know, it has its downfalls. Sometimes they lose a guy in transition. 
Sometimes they give up easy buckets. So it's kind of a high-risk, high-reward kind of defense. Like you said, Chris, I'm a huge fan of Posh Alexander, just the way that he plays. I've been following him for a while out here, right in my backyard in New York City. And he's just been one of those tough hoopers that you could tell, like, this guy deserved to be in the Big East or some major conference because, he, can, yeah, you know, he can score. He can dish. He's a good point guard. But just the tenacity that he provides on defense – Averages almost three steals per game. Like, this guy gets after it. He never takes any plays off. And it's just, you know, to have a guy like that, and especially to have that mindset as a freshman, that's huge for a young team like St. John's. Yeah, it certainly is. And it kind of lends your system, defensive system, to kind of fall on one player. And, like, if you can get one player to kind of take you to a new uh, level defensively, that, that that's pretty impressive. And it just, it just opens up so many other options for the other guys in the court. Because if he's like, all right, I'm going to lock this one guy down, then, like, you know, your other four players, you know, they're either going to rally behind it or they're going to be able to follow suit. And it just makes it makes everybody else's job that much easier. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is I know that so many people have been asking us, oh, is this the end of the end bound pass problems or have the Wildcats finally figured it out? I kind of want to reserve my judgment for this game because I've seen the way that St. John's is pressed this year. And they – Turn, they generate turnovers at just such a high clip. And obviously, Villanova is taking a great care of the ball this whole year. And Colin's been great at facilitating and not coughing it up. Crazy assist to turnover ratio. However, this is the defensive test for me, or facing a defense like this. This is where we'll finally know can they inbound the ball properly? Is this turnover rate for real? And I think after this game, we'll know. We'll know the answer, whether or not they have finally fixed the inbounding problems. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I really hope inbounding does not sink us against St. John's of all teams. I really don't. Yeah, man. We can't give a team like that the easy buckets, and that's what they look for and thrive on. No, I know. I know. I know. That's what I'm scared of. But we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully it doesn't rear its ugly head. I don't want to say we've been getting lucky, but it – They've been pretty good, like you said, so far. But man, if they, if St. John's is the one that and the, the fun with the inbound, <laughs> I would be very sad. Very sad. Yeah, this is a team that just runs twenty four seven. Like they have top ten adjusted tempo or top fifteen adjusted tempo on Ken Palm. Then on D, they got the high flying press. Not that great defensively when it comes to you know defending shots or defending the three point line or defending inside the arc. But when they can get those turnovers, which they usually do, that's where they make up for it. They'll, they'll live with the losses on that end if they can get those turnovers right. and crush your momentum that way. Yeah, a team like that that's kind of middle of the pack, they're not going to beat you on sheer talent alone. So they kind of have to make you like, commit your own errors pretty much and force turnovers. And that's the way they'll beat you. So Yeah, and this but, team is rolling in a little hot too, which gives me a little bit of concern because there were games earlier in the year where they were close, they were right there, but – they just didn't have the discipline or the talent or the execution down the stretch in order to take those wins. But they could easily be 14-3 and three right now. Yeah, they could be. Instead of being 11-7. and seven. Right. Yeah, they could be. They very much could be. But it also goes the other way, too. Maybe, you know, certain bounces can go their way in a win, and then you can check that up. But I, I don't understand. tell Wojo that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to. They're bad, dude. Marquette's Marquette, so yeah, they're Marquette's struggling. So they're struggling oh, right now. The pitchforks are starting to come up for Bojo. Pitchforks and torches. They should not be that bad as well. 
But just uh, just to highlight a little bit more from St. John's individually, I mentioned Greg Williams. He does have a back problem right now, a back injury. He did not play against Marquette. I do not know if he'll be back for the Villanova game. I have not seen anything that indicates otherwise. I w- obviously, you want to play game plan if he is going to play, but a back issue, that could be lingering, and you just never know how that's going to react. But also, one guy I want to highlight, Rasheem Dunn. Like, he was a pretty big player last year for them, though. And like, Didn't he give Villanova fits? I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, he did. He did. So, watch he'll, he'll, you know, make his presence known again. So, Chris, give it to me. What's your prediction for this game? Who are you keeping an eye on? Well, it's at St. John's. It's a 9 o'clock start. So, hopefully, we're all up. Late one. Yeah, late one. Very, very late one on CBS Sports, you know, Wednesday night. Is it really? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. I just see it right here. Yeah, you get oh, you get one or two of those a year. The nine o'clock CBS Sports Network starts on a Wednesday. Yeah, the one time you have to pull out your channel guide. <laughs> so hopefully everyone finds the channel and is up and ready to watch. And if we are up and ready to watch, I think Villanova wins this. I think it's going to be a very close game. I think even St. John's might even lead for a good chunk of it. But I think this is one where Villanova digs deep. They are able to pull this out defensively. I think they force enough St. John's turnovers. I think St. John's just doesn't hit the shots late in the game, and I think Villanova ends up pulling away. They win by six, seven, eight, maybe. And I think uh, I think Jermaine Samuels is going to have another big game. He, he's been he having some big games clicking. lately. He's been having some big games. He's, he's been clicking, and I think this is going to just continue. And whoever is guarded by Posh Alexander, good luck. And whoever is guarding Julian Champagne, good luck. But I think – I'm assuming it would be Colin and Justin more respectively and – I trust both of them to do pretty good in those roles, so I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I think Villanova should win this one. I think it might be one of those games where it's a little bit slow of a start, a little shell-shocked by the tempo that St. John's goes on. But like always, second half, flip the switch, experience, talent, everything takes over, and then they just dash ahead and pull away for a nice, solid win. Give me, Give me a dozen. Give me a dozen. Doesn't point margin, hopefully. And I got my eye on Colin Gillespie in a game like this on the road against a team that loves to generate turnovers. He's been excellent so far. Hopefully he doesn't have an off night. And I would love to see him hopefully replicate a double-double again. 11-11 was pretty impressive against Seton Hall and with the way that he was able to do it and only turn the ball over once. Let's see if he could even extend himself in the scoring column a little bit more, maybe 20 and 10. Oh, that'd be beautiful. That'd be beautiful. But uh, yeah, no, he's going to be very important this game. We're going to need him to facilitate, take care of the ball and just run that offense. Yep. And I, I trust him to do a good job with that too. This game, this game's actually at Carneseca, I believe, which I don't think Villanova's played there in like quite some time. Oh yeah. That's also true. They've always been in Madison square garden. It's always been an MSG. Yeah. Wow. I want I, I'm sure I could look that up. I'll, I'll see if yeah, I can find it. Probably like 2004. <laughs> something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, so that, that'll be a nice change of scenery, I guess. I mean, obviously, MSG is Villanova's second home. We all know that. But it'd be cool to see another arena. I haven't seen one. haven't seen them play in Carneseca. Yeah, no, not, especially not since on the last 10 years, I think. No way. No, no, not at all. I don't And if it was, like, and shame on me, I guess. I, I do not remember it whatsoever. One thing, too, about Colin Gillespie, before we move on to questions and things, I just want to point out a little stat here. 
But Colin Gillespie, according to Ken Palm, his offensive efficiency rating is at 130.3. And just put that in perspective, that is higher than Ryan Archidiakono at any point in his career. And it's even higher right now by a little bit, like a tiny bit, than Jalen Brunson during his National Player of the Year campaign in 2018 when they obviously also won the title. So Colin Gillespie, I mean, whoo. I know we were talking about he was having a great season, but according to the analytics and the numbers, guys, it's apparently even better than those two. Very, very, very – Colin Gillespie just continues to impress and surprise me. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I, I would believe you on the Arch thing for sure. I mean, we all, we all love Arch. But, you know, offensively, he, he was, you know, middle-of-the-pack guy. He wasn't you know, leading the team in anything other than assist the turnover ratio, obviously. But then – to say he's, it's higher than Jalen's right now, Jalen's probably best season ever and probably one of the best. <laughs> the, the goat, goat. yeah, the goat. <laughs> uh, that's a little. That's a little shocking. It is. It is. I mean, he'll have to keep up this play because that's where Brunson finished. But right, yeah, right. As as of this current moment, his one thirty point three is slightly better than twenty seventeen eighteen Jalen Brunson's one uh, one twenty eight point five or something like that. And I guess it's better than Josh Hart's 16, 17 year too, and that's another one up there as well. Oh man, I didn't even check. I didn't even check Hart. Yeah, because he was. Yeah, he it, also had a monster year that year too. Hold on, yeah. I will pull it up just for you, yeah. just for you. Here we go. Here we go. Also, can I just make another point? I, I'm also yeah. pretty sure Kale Bridges' offensive rating was higher than Jalen's in seventeen, eighteen. But just double check me on that. So Josh Hart during that twenty seventeen season was one twenty two point three. And then mm-hmm. Mikhail Bridges in 2018, 130.1. It's even higher than Mikhail Bridges by point yeah, that's, two. That's wow. Insane. That's, that, that's pretty wild. That is bonkers. Now, granted, this is just the offensive rating. Chris right. pointed out a, when, when I was telling Chris <laughs> about this over the weekend, he was like, yeah, but what about the defensive rating? I was like, oh, 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 oh all, right, all, right, all right. It's not, it's yeah. not helping the narrative I'm working with here. Yeah, it's the defensive rating, though, once you look at Hart and Bridges and Brunson, it's like, okay, yeah, you see, <laughs> you see where the difference lies. But offensively, Colin is having as great of a season as ever in program history. You can even make the argument for it based on that one stat, obviously. But he's, he's doing a great job. Yeah, I haven't even looked up Mikhail Bridges' defensive efficiency rating, but I'm sure his is probably like – Top fifteen all time, something crazy. It's 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 really good. Obviously. And if it isn't, then <laughs> that we have to readjust the formula. Yeah, something's wrong with the model of Mikhail Bridges has a defensive rating over a hundred, <laughs> which it's not. I can confirm, but it's it's ninety eight point two, at least the one according to the college reference. All right, Chris, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer the questions that you, the listeners, have for us. As always, you can tweet us at s o n n pod. Leave a question in the comment section, and it'll find its way to us. We'll talk about it on air. First question is from John Palme. Why, oh why, is there a row of empty folding chairs that close to the court? Colin Gillespie had to jump over them, and I'm thankful he wasn't injured. I'm not going to lie. I got a little nervous, too. Colin didn't make it look graceful when he jumped over those chairs. He was able to clear it. He cleared it, and he got over to the other side, and we saw that hustle that we'd seen Arch and Hart and some of the other guys doing. But I was a little scared about that as well, and I don't know why that row of chairs are there. Yeah, that was weird. Let's be honest, though. It was probably Seton Hall just trying to get everyone hurt at the same time. They're like, <laughs> oh, Villanova likes to die for loose balls. We should uh, throw some barriers up there to make sure they can get hurt when they run into it. But no, we, we all know. 
joking there, obviously. But, yeah, that was a little scary. Thank God he didn't get hurt because that would have been very devastating just for him to see him get hurt his senior year. And I know next year is a free year, I guess. But it would have been devastating to the team and just, you know, just doing playing some Villanova basketball. You don't like seeing a players get hurt like that. Yeah, I guess one plus side to having the chairs there is – acts as a natural barrier so if the ball's rolling or if there's an errant pass at least you don't have to go chase it down in row two or row three a little bit away from the court but yeah i was glad that colin gillespie was able to clear it barely just barely did it didn't look as graceful as some of his past teammates or some of the past alum no injuries which was nice unfortunately couldn't get the ball but it doesn't matter nova got the win next question from john he had a follow-up or a second one and his second question is, since he's retiring, do you have a personal father stack story or memory? Chris, do you have a personal father stack story or memory? Well, I, I think the one that stands out most to me, and I think this could go with the same for you, Eugene, is when he gave that uh, pretty intense and, and thoughtful speech, the end of our freshman orientation. And it just resonated with me, like at least for the first couple weeks where I was like, oh, wow, you know, like I actually like belong here and. I'm excited to like start a new tra- uh, chapter of my life. I mean, I think we were, I mean, I, at least I was, I was a little scared to go off into the unknown, especially at Nova and whatnot, and just how I was going to adapt. And to, he kind of calmed me down with that speech and maybe, you know, maybe want to run through a wall after that. <laughs> but I was like, all right, you know what? That, that was uh, pretty great. And I'm, I'm glad he gave it. Yeah. That speech that you're talking about was awesome. I was really sad that they didn't have it anywhere recorded. I was kind of bummed out on that because I remember, kind of towards the end of graduation or even in the few weeks after that moment in 2012, just kind of sitting there thinking, man, I would love to just watch that speech again because it was so well said and it was awesome. I just remember, you know, at the end, he kind of closed it out with the two types of people in this world, people who went to Villanova and those who wish they did. And then, you know, just on top of orientation, like I, I came to Nova and I was just so ready for trying everything new and, and I was excited, and that just got me even more excited to be there. But for me, I lived in St. Mary's, so once in a while I saw him chilling and, and hanging out there. And, and he was just a good, friendly guy. My most interactions with him came actually when I was a still over at viewbenchmob.com um, with my own personal website, RP blog. But uh, he used to actually have his own seat on Press Row, and he was always there. And at first, I never realized who it was reserved for because it would just say reserved Villanova basketball. But then he would roll up sometimes midway through the game. Sometimes he'll show up for the first half and leave midway through. But it was the same thing every time. He always had a, a soft pretzel and a soda, and he would just relax. Like this guy sitting there with a bunch of reporters, and he was just such a friendly guy to talk to, sharing some Villanova basketball memories and just talking to you about life or some other things that's going on. Um, and just cheering for the game, hanging out, eating his pretzel and soda every time, <laughs> never a doubt, and just enjoying the game. And obviously that was when Villanova was on its way up and eventually national champs in 2016. And as we know, the, the dominance has continued ever since. That's pretty cool. I didn't know he was on press row. Yeah, he got his own seat. It was like that one time uh, when we were at the Elite Eight. or Yeah, it was like that one time we were at the Elite Eight. Yeah, I was like, was Sweet 16 Elite Eight? But yeah, Scott Graham. The, the broadcaster was just literally, chilling literally with us. right in between us. Yeah, it was yeah. like uh, reserved for Villanova, and it was like, like that could be anybody. I remember being like, I, I just want to take that seat. 
it, w- it was a little closer. I was like, I just want that one. And then I was like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> I am not taking the seat from you, Scott. I'm sorry. But yeah, Father Stack rolling up with a soft pretzel of soda and just chilling with the reporters like two feet away from the court enjoying the game. Good dude. Good dude. Great speech, though. Yeah, glad, was, glad you reminded me about that. Yeah, it was so something. bummed it wasn't recorded anywhere. That was before VTV was competent and and before social <laughs> media was like, you know, we there was Facebook and things, but now it's like everything's recorded. Back then, you didn't really have that thought. Yeah, it definitely would have been recorded, chopped up a little bit, and like sent to like some retweet account on Twitter and be like, be posted with like a thousand emojis of like inspiration and stuff. But it was it was a great speech though. Yeah, and and every year, of course, after that, or I think starting in 2014 at least, they started filming those orientation speeches and things like that, which is nice because now those kids can look back at it and have something to look look at later. Of course, not for us. Not for us, never for us. But we not got a 2016 us. national championship. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah. okay. That's okay. I, I, I guess that's all right. Nice I can watch that every time. Yeah, they got the they got the Chris Jenkins shot. Can you imagine they didn't record that and put that everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would uh, that would be something. Next set of questions is from Jerry Quinn. First one, if we continue to see big game Jermaine perform at the level he has the last three games, how likely is it that we go undefeated in conference play? Oof. Jerry likes asking yeah. us this. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because I'm at the point where I'm starting – I think this is the third time he's asked us, and I'm starting to, like, each time, you know, just chip away at that whole – I don't know. It's hard to do that. It's not easy to go undefeated, but I'm starting to buy the hype. And I've just been loving watching the way that Samuels has been playing these last three games. Unfortunately, I think I'm going to stick with my guns here. It's not easy, but if they can clear that huge Creighton hurdle, then I think there's a very, very good chance Nova pulls it off. We haven't played Creighton yet, so. Right. That's the, oh, that's like the biggest obstacle, I'd say. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I have the same exact sentiment as you, Eugene. I'm like, every time this gets asked, it's like, oh, you know what? We're a couple more games in, and it's like, you know, we're still undefeated, still undefeated. And it's like, all right, maybe this might happen. Like, you start putting that in the back of your head, but right as you think that, they're going to go out and, like, drop a dud against uh, some random team. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just like, of course. You could just never get excited. So I'm still cautiously optimistic that it could happen. And obviously, if Jermaine were to keep this up, it would make it a lot, a lot, a lot easier. But. We'll see. I, I just, like you said, it, the biggies is such a gauntlet and the road games are so tough. I know there's no crowd and whatnot, but still, I just think it's a little too tough to go undefeated in this type of schedule. Yeah, according to Ken Palm, he does his match-by-match predictions. And right now, the only game that's actually really close, according to him, is that game at Creighton on the road in Omaha is scheduled for February 13th. He predicts Villanova to have a 52% chance to win that game. Now, he thinks that Villanova's actually going to go undefeated the rest of the way. But of mm-hmm. all the remaining games, it's the closest one. And that's the only one like that. The rest are like 70% chance Nova wins or higher. Wow. That's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty significant. Yeah, this is Ken Pop. This is a numbers guru here. No, I know, and I believe him. <laughs> I believe everything <laughs> that man says. If he says go right when I think I should be going left, I'll go right. You know, type of yeah, thing. yeah, and he'll give you the, the equation or the formula to tell you why you should go right 94% <laughs> of the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's hopefully it happens, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I'm just gonna hold off a little bit, but once they clear that that Creighton hurdle, I think I might fully buy into this narrative that it's gonna happen. Next one from Jerry is when will Dixon get more minutes? Yeah, I I don't know, man. 
it, I mean, he got a lot more burn than I thought he would in the Seton Hall game. I know it was only like for what, seven, eight minutes, but like I thought he wasn't going to play at all because he barely played the last couple of games, I felt like. So I think they I think they were probably just work, trying to work him back in a little bit. Uh, also, I think we're going to need maybe one or two blowouts to kind of see a more expanded role from him. Don't, yeah. you, don't you kind of feel that way too? Yeah, unfortunately, there are no more Hartford games on the schedule. <laughs> The right. thing with Dixon, though, is with DCR out indefinitely, that makes me think that he would get more minutes because we would need more guys on the front line. But when you have guys like Jermaine Samuel stepping up with JRE in foul trouble and guarding Mamu, that's like, wow, we have a center right there. And the six foot seven wing named Jermaine Samuels, who plays bigger than he actually is, at least in this current spurt. I would like to see him get more minutes. I hope it happens just because once you approach March or you know, as we go down the stretch, it'll be great to just have that another body or another big body that we can rely on. I know that Cole Swider is six foot nine, but he plays more like a guard in my eyes than like a big man. So hopefully we can get Dixon more minutes, but right now everything seems to be working. So I don't know if Jay's going to change it too much. Right. Yeah. We know how that goes. Once he finds his formula, very, very seldom does he delineate from it. Last one from Jerry with 64 positive COVID tests on January 31st and a total of 200 since January 19. Will students stay on campus? I actually just saw the article before we got on the air that mentioned how virtual learning and Villanova threatening, you know, going fully remote or fully virtual due to their spike on campus. Tough to say. I feel like if we were still students, we would have a better pulse on this thing. I haven't really followed it from afar. I know that there was that orientation video from the Awkward Luau that got people jumping out of their chairs earlier in the year. But since then, Nova's been handling COVID very, very well. I'm hoping this is just a, a momentary blip, not a trend. I'll stay optimistic that Nova does stay on campus, but we're going to need people to start tightening things up. I didn't realize it was that bad. I had no idea that there were that many cases as of now. I mean, obviously, you kind of figured there would be some positives on campus. But I guess from, like, the actual academic standpoint, I just never really gave it much thought because we've been we've been removed from it, Eugene. Like, it's not like we're on campus, like you said, and have a pulse on it. So, I mean, if we were students, like you said, I think we would probably have much stronger feelings on it. I think I think they should probably shut it down for a little bit and then see – and then Temporary. reassess in a couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah. And I feel awful for anyone who's a senior, obviously losing out on last year completely and then losing out on all this, their entire senior year. That's just awful. And I feel really bad for everyone involved, but yeah, I think you kind of have to start taking some drastic measures in that sense. If you're getting like 64 a day, that's, that's pretty significant. It's one of those things that I just saw flown around on Twitter. It was like, Oh, Villanova has, has uh, some COVID cases oh, this is interesting. And then you look at it and it's like, oh, wow, they're threatening going fully remote. That's tough. Yeah, you definitely yeah. feel for the seniors because not the ideal ending you wanted. No, not at all. And also just glad I'm not in the position of power to be making these types of decisions. Of course, so you look at some of the other Southern universities, it's like, oh, you know, it's just like it's just uh, another day. It's, it's just like a rainy day on campus. It's nothing else. No big deal. That's a uh, that's a whole other podcast. We'll still care of that. We'll steer clear of that for now. <laughs> but you're, I, I don't disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to close off with these two questions from Rob Ensom. First one 
is Villanova Blue Blood. Now, this has actually been a very hot topic because this came up over the weekend, and I've seen a lot of people debating a lot of different discourse and thesis statements and all these other things about whether Villanova is or isn't a Blue Blood. What are your thoughts on this? A huge debate. Like, I'm not even exaggerating how big of a debate this was over the weekend. I saw it rehashed by a bunch of different people. I saw certain teams, what classifies Blue Blood, they'll say Duke, Kentucky, UNC. Then they'll throw in Michigan State and Indiana, UCLA. And then all of a sudden people are, whoa, 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 two championships in 10 years. That's got to count for something. Or all the Final Four appearances since 71. That's got to count for something. But, Chris, what is your take on yeah, I don't know why this always seems to pop up every so often. I think it's just when people get really bored, and uh, this is what happens when boredom happens. But to answer the question, I do not see a reason why Villanova isn't a blue blood. You factor in three NCAA championships, one of which was probably the biggest upset in championship game history. It, it was the biggest upset in championship game history. I don't care. The one or the other one was the uh, probably the most famous shot in NCAA basketball history, the Christian Leitner shot be damned. And three, the third one was probably the most dominant team ever assembled, or one of the most dominant teams ever assembled. I, I don't understand how Villanova constantly gets dunked on in that regard where it's like, oh, yeah, well, they haven't been you know that consistent. And if you look from like the 50s and 60s, and <laughs> except for the one year in the 70s, they weren't that good. I'm like – Okay, and uh, what has, like, Michigan State done since 2000? Okay, they've made a bunch of Final Fours, but, like, so what? Like, I, I don't really – to me, the Final Four doesn't really doesn't hold do it that for much you. weight. Doesn't do it for it you. Doesn't, it, re- it really doesn't. Like, okay, you won your bracket. Congratulations. Then what? you got to win a title. you got to win titles. And Villanova's right up there. And also you have to show, like, consistent success in your conference and whatnot. Villanova has consistently done that, you know, at least in the past few years. So I guess if you want to put a label on it, it's like, I guess Villanova's more of a modern blue blood. I guess you, if you want to like really, you know, differentiate these teams and like maybe like Indiana, I would say is like more of a historical blue blood because they were like really good in the seventies and eighties. Uh, and then like Duke and UNC and Kentucky, I guess they're more, you know, traditional blue bloods in that sense. And Kansas, I guess as well. But like even Kansas too. Like what, what if, I, I think I, Brought this up a couple weeks ago. Like, what does Kansas have? What has Kansas done since 2008, outside of a couple of Final Fours? Consistently get a top seed despite losing eight or more games. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have a cool mascot. <laughs> right. Uh, it, but and avoid all criticism while you're at it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't see why Villanova isn't a blue blood, and the people that say they aren't are just a bunch of clowns. Whatever, and I don't know if you if you want to list them all out. It's like UNC to Kansas, Kentucky. I'd even I'll put Michigan State in there, even though I just bashed them. Indiana, Villanova. Like, am I missing anyone else in that sense? That's a pretty good list right there. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good list. I'm sure there's one or two, maybe UCLA, but they're more. Yeah, UCLA too. Yeah. But yeah, they're a historic blue blood. So like, I don't know, maybe there's different tiers of blue bloods, but it's this is this debate's actually worse than the greatest of all time debate, like between quarterbacks and the Mount NBA, Yeah, and the Mount Rushmores. This is actually worse. And I never thought I'd say that, but here we are. 
it's funny because every time I see this debate, to me, you know, you can't really change my mind. I remember sitting here on the show with you, Chris, 2018. If Villanova wins this title, that it's officially blue blood status. Like, book it, stamp it, write in Sharpie, etch it in stone, blue blood status. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone can talk me off that. I still fully believe in it. I still have that shirt. I remember Mike J, right after we won that second championship in three years, went straight to the printing press, made these officially blue blood shirts. I wanted all of them. And this team, this program is definitely a blue blood. Unfortunately, here's my take on it. I think a lot of the people who are gatekeeping or saying who who belongs in this conversation, who doesn't, these happen to be people who are fans of teams that aren't doing so well right now. And they just like to live in the past. A lot of it lives <laughs> in the past. Duke, Kentucky, where are you? Anytime mm-hmm. you want to show up, Michigan State could be They're better. Bad this year, though. They're bad this year, though. Yeah, yeah, They're exactly. Bad. All these people just want to live. Indiana, they've been living in the past for the last – since Tom Crean left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> so it's like, you know, they can say what they want, but right now Villanova's hot right now, and, and I think they played their way into the Blue Blood conversation two years ago, three years ago. Right. I, they're, I think they're comfortably in. Like, I don't understand what the big issue is. Also, Louisville, I guess you could kind of throw in there. They've won three. Ricky! Despite, despite, despite the uh, – <laughs> One of them got taken away. Despite the yeah various uh, violations that have surrounded that university. The uh, extracurricular activities. Right. <laughs> so, whatever. Just, like, wh- why can't we just all get along? Why does it I, matter? I know, right? Like, like I see – you know, and I get it. You know, you want to defend the cats or things, but pay the haters no mind. Their teams are probably struggling right now. They are quote unquote blue bloods who mm. are quote unquote the experts in this conversation, even though they can't put a fieldable product this year. But that's, that's tough for yeah, that's time. Tough, tough for another time. But then you get the, then then when you say that argument, then they come back at you like, well, you play in like a Mickey Mouse conference. And I'm just, it's like a yeah. Well, they look like Mickey Mouse and Minnie <sighs> Mouse right now. They look like Pluto. <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> really? Like, they look at the ACC right now. It's like a bunch of non-traditional blue blood schools are like running that conference. The also the other the only team that I would say is borderline right now is UVA. I think we can start having the discussion about them soon, but that's okay. They'll get there. I feel like. Can't can't lose to a 16 seed. Sorry. I, I know. <laughs> I, I, that's a great I know, I know you got. Yeah, I know they made it up, but uh, can't do that. Just can't. May, maybe they're gonna need like another team to lose and make it a little more common. Then people will be like, oh, okay, you right. can have them in a conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point. See, that's what winning does, though, Eugene. It, it makes you forget about all the past struggles you've had. Yeah, like what's a round of 32? I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, I don't know what. Who cares? NC State, who are they? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Shabazz Napier, what? Some guy no. who wanted bagels? Yeah. No. And the last question from Rob is, which serial mascot are you absolutely scared to fight? So right off the top of my head, I have to go with Tony the Tiger because he's a he's freaking jacked. tiger. He's pretty big. He's, he's a big boy. Don't want to be dealing with that. However, thought about this a little bit more. And the leprechaun for the Lucky Charms, I don't know what his name is, but if he can, he can conjure up some spells – I don't want to mess with that dude. He he starts throwing some like hocus pocus right at my face, and it's, it's game over. He might turn me into a chicken for the rest of my life. I don't want to deal with that. Turn me into a a 
styrofoam marshmallow like do i really want to go on the rest of my life with that eugene i'd be terrified i'd rather just get ripped to shreds at that point by tony the tiger see tony the tiger he's a big boy and i was thinking about this when i saw this question in our dms and i was just like yeah he's big yeah he's a tiger yeah he goes to the gym but he's kind of a gentle giant you know he's he's there to rally the kids say they're great give them the frosted flakes (laughs) He's a nice guy. He's a big dude. He's definitely strong. You know, definitely. You know, if you mess if you mess with him the wrong way, you know, he'll he'll destroy you. But there's one guy that I'm actually terrified of. It's the cocoa puffs guy. That now, first of all, that person has an addiction to cocoa puffs. Cuckoo for cocoa puffs. This person's going, you know, bouncing off walls, doing whatever he can to get cocoa puffs. So if you get in between that guy and his cocoa puffs, I feel like it's over for you. That's oh, man, yeah. it's nothing to lose. Got it. I know you're not a fan of Rick and Morty, Eugene, but there was that one Rick and Morty episode with the guy with the eye holes, the eye hole man. And if you ever touched the eye holes, the uh, <laughs> the serial named eye holes, he would come down from above and attack you. And I, I feel like it's kind of the, the Cocoa Puffs guy in your regard. And I that's actually a terrifying character to be scared of. Yeah, he's jumping. Yeah, he's like breaking through walls, bouncing up and down only for Cocoa Puffs. Can't get, you know, can't, can't hold that guy back. No, no, he can't. Got to put him in an asylum somewhere. Oh, yeah, got to give him a search jacket. He's got nothing to lose. <laughs> He'll take you out. That's it. So you're going with the Cocoa Puffs guy. Yeah, very unpredictable, erratic. <laughs> he is unpredictable. We'll stop at nothing to get Cocoa Puffs. The, fun- the funny thing is, though, there are lo- actually like three monsters that exist in, in terms of cereal, and that's the uh, Count Chocula, the Franken... Barry guy and the, the ghost. I forget his name. Oh, I forgot about all three of those guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was kind of thinking about it. I was like, uh, Applejack? <laughs> <laughs> the, the apple and the cinnamon, the Jamaican cinnamon guy. <laughs> I'll, I'll take my chances with those guys. But, like, Count Chocula, like, just stalking you, like, that's that's not fun. I don't really know if there's anyone else that stands out. I mean, you could, you could deal with a toucan, right? You could fight off the toucan. Toucan Sam? Yeah. Yeah, Captain Crunch. What are you? You can't be. You're not scared of him. He. He looks like he's like three feet tall. Yeah, I know. Could beat him up easily. Oh, Booberry is the guy I was thinking of. That's who it was. I don't think I've ever had that. I know Belson was a big fan. Yeah, he was a big fan. Count Chocula, Frankenberry. Those guys are actual monsters, and I am not afraid of them. I'd rather. I am scared of an actual leprechaun. I mean, you've seen the. If you've seen the movie Leprechaun, you. Isn't that one of those bad horror movies? Yes, it's awful. Oh, okay. But it's uh, uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen it on YouTube, like clips of it on YouTube, and I've heard about it, but I've never seen yeah. it. Yeah, after that, mm-mm. nope. <laughs> and I, if he has spells conjured up, he's it's over. If we're missing anybody, let us know. Tweet at us because right now my mind's drawn a blank on cereal. It sucks because I kind of went to old man cereal when I was in fourth grade. Like I had honey bunches of oats for the first time, and I said, "This mm. is the greatest cereal ever. This is so good." And ever since then, that's like the only cereal I eat. For when now. I do have cereal, it's a, it's a rare occasion. But once in a while, I'll have a craving for it, and I'll get some honey bunches of oats. It's great cereal. It's great great cereal. cereal. Before that, I was all about Fruit Loops and uh, Frosted Flakes. What about the honeycomb guy? Oh, the bee? No, 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 not the bee. Like that actual, like, weird-looking thing. I don't know the actual name of it. It kind of looks like the Tasmanian devil, but it's not. It what like is that? that? I just, yeah, that I just looked. That thing. I just looked it up. What is that? What dude, is that thing? That dude, guy, I think, I think that actually might take the cake. This guy looks way crazier than, than the Cocoa Puffs guy. 
Yeah. If if for anyone who doesn't know who I'm talking about, Google him, yeah, and sure. you you will not sleep the next uh, couple. Yeah, of just look him up. Uh, this guy is way too big eyes, and he also <laughs> looks like he has nothing to lose and will stop at nothing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This uh, I'm assuming that he was a '90s character because I remember him when I was a very young lad, and uh, of course only during the '90s would they think this is okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was a different time. It was a different time. It, it was. Like I said, if we missed any mascots you think would be deserving of this conversation, please let us know. I'm curious to know what everyone thinks. But until then, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. You can do so on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Megaphone, Podbean. you got many, many options. Please check back, check often at viewhoops.com. We're going to have a preview of the St. John's game by Taryn Ashby. Then we're going to have a recap later on tomorrow night by Daniel Donabedian. And then we will be moving onwards and forwards. So check back, check off, and participate in the comment section. It's always a fun time. Follow VU Hoops on social media, at VU Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at erepay 5 and I'm Chris Tanziel. I got nothing. Just stay safe, everybody. Nova Nation, happy February. Have a good Tuesday. And we'll be back at it on Thursday. Hopefully, let's get this win tomorrow night.